delay, but I wouldn't have missed that for anything in the world. <laughs> Amen. Uh, those in the FLC don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but I owe oh, for a thousand tongues to sing praises to our King. That is such a worshipful song. I pray that God used it in your heart to draw you to Christ today and to make us bow in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the only one worthy of our worship. You know, God created us in such a way that when we worship him with all of our being, not only does he receive the praise and the glory and the honor, but he uses us to draw attention to him. And again, the only one who deserves to be praised. God is awesome. Only Jesus Never heard that song before. That is powerful. As Mark said, the world is offering a lot of answers today. And anything except Jesus is a lie from the pits of hell. Jesus is the only hope we have, folks. I want to direct us this morning. I, I, I titled well, this message is on the Great Commission, and that doesn't surprise you if you know me. I am so thankful for the opportunities God has given me uh, to lead this church in seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. And I'm not, not, I'm not talking about just going to Ukraine and Peru. I'm talking about beginning right here in our own community and shining the light of Christ every opportunity he has given us. And so we have been blessed, and I am thankful uh, for Dr. May's leadership in that. And that, that was his dream, his, his heart for this church, is that we be actively involved in taking the gospel to the far reaches of the earth, but also making sure that we saturate our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will continue until the Lord comes back We'll continue in that call he's placed upon our heart. And what I want to communicate to you this morning, I've titled the message, Ye is me, ye is you. Okay? Grammatically, that may just ruffle your feathers. If it does, you can say, I don't know what you can say. I guess you can say, ye means me and ye means you. Okay, that might help a little bit. But... In a recent survey conducted by the Barna Group, among those who claim to be Christian, the question was asked, do you know what the Great Commission is? Now, you may be surprised by these results. 6% said they were not sure. Now, these are people who claim to know Christ, okay? 17% said, yes, they did know the Great Commission. 25% said yes, but they couldn't recall the exact meaning. Now listen to this. 51% of those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ said they have no clue what the Great Commission is. Wow. When given the opportunity to pick the Scripture reference that most people recognize as the Great Commission... 63% picked the wrong verse. 
Now, what does that say about the church? What does that say about us as believers? If, if 51% don't have a clue what the Great Commission is, there is no wonder there are 2.3 billion people in the world today that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder. If you're in that 63% group this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with that 37% that know where we're going this morning to Matthew chapter 28. And normally the Great Commission begins in verse 19. But this morning, we're going to start with verse 16 because I see that as kind of laying the foundation, if you will, for a more complete understanding of the Lord's words and his Great Commission and something that is obviously much needed today. Once you've located Matthew 28, 16, I ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word. Matthew 28. Now, I normally read from the New King James translation, but this morning I'm going to be reading from the King James translation. I'm surprised Mike Sullivan didn't say, amen, brother. <laughs> Gonna be reading from the King James because when I do, ye is me, ye is you makes a little bit better sense. Okay? So Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end, unto the end of the world." Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit who's going to take your word as we seek to proclaim it in the best way that we can and use that word to impact all of us today as it has already impacted me in preparing this message. I pray, God, that we will have attentive hearts. We will be in tune to your Holy Spirit this morning as we know he desires to communicate to us the absolute necessity of being involved in the Great Commission. So, Lord, we just commit this service to you. I pray, God, that you will, Lord, just be glorified in all that's done and said. And I pray, God, that there will be decisions made for you today that will have an effect into eternity. And so we thank you, God, for how you're going to answer our prayers. And we pray this prayer in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In his New Testament commentary on the book of Matthew, Dr. John MacArthur declares this, if a Christian understands all the rest of the gospel of Matthew, but fails to understand this closing passage, he has missed the point of the entire book. This passage is the climax and major focal point, not only of this gospel, but of the entire New Testament. It is not an exaggeration to say that in its broadest sense, it is the focal point of all Scripture, Old Testament 
as well as new. This central message of Scripture pertains to the central mission of the people of God, a mission that tragically many Christians do not understand or are willing to fulfill. You know, providing testimony to the importance of the Great Commission is understanding God's, and, and understanding God's will for all believers is the fact that the Holy Spirit made sure that the Great Commission would be included in all four Gospels and the history book of the New Testament church in Acts. You know, in Scripture, when you see something repeated, it communicates importance. In other words, it's like, God, through his Holy Spirit, has said, listen, you need to hear this because I'm going to tell you not once, not twice, not three times, not four. I'm going to tell you five times, and I hope you get it. Because what I am leaving to you, if you do not get it, my commission will not be fulfilled through you. Now, listen, this is something we need to understand about the will of God. God's will is going to be accomplished, Amen. His will will be accomplished, but he allows us, he gives us the invitation to join him in accomplishing that will. And when we choose not to, his will will still be accomplished, but we missed a great blessing and we missed the opportunity. God's will will be accomplished. He has given us through the great commission, every one of us that know Jesus, he's given us the privilege to be a part of that. To be his legal representatives. Do you know what that means? Jesus sends us out and he says to the world, this is my ambassador. This is the one that I have chosen to communicate my word to you. It's just like we've got a set of papers from the Lord himself that's stamped with the blood of Jesus and says, he's mine, she's mine. And they've got the message. Listen. But you know what? If we don't proclaim it, they can't hear it. Amen? If we don't go out and tell, the world cannot hear. 2.3 billion people in the world today who've never even heard who Jesus is. God gives us that privilege that blessing to be important and it's so important he emphasized it and overemphasized it and overemphasized it so that we might understand it turn to mark chapter 16 and verse 15 now this is probably not the one that we think of when we think of the great commission but it's communicating that truth mark 16 15 we read and he said unto them go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature then over in Luke, flip over to Luke, Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 46. Now again, this is the great commission communicated through the four gospel writers and then through Luke in the book of Acts. So Luke 24, 46 and 47, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Turn over to John. John chapter 20 in verse 21. Again, not the one we readily recognize as the Great Commission, but it's the same truth. 
the same commission. So Jesus said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, what? I also send you. So I send you, the King James says. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father sent Jesus into the world, what was his primary purpose? To seek and to save the lost. What is our primary purpose? Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to seek and to show how they might be saved. We can't save anyone, but we can tell them how they can be saved. Amen? And so it's the same thing. We are continuing what Jesus started. Amen? And what the Lord wanted to do through the nation of Israel. They failed. And so it was the, it's the church's responsibility to be that shining light, to communicate that truth. All right, and then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, a, a passage that you're more familiar with probably. Again, from the King James, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Ye is me. Okay? It, it, it's a personal responsibility of every believer to believe that Jesus will do what he says he will do and accept the command to take his word throughout the world. Ye begins with me. But also, ye is you. And this is where I'll say ye means you because some of you are just saying you can't say ye is you. That's just not right. Especially the English teachers out there, I know. But ye also means you. You know, some people believe that it's only the responsibility of ordained ministers and missionaries to fulfill the Great Commission. Raise your hand if you believe that and then you can make your way out the door. No, please don't do that. <laughs> because you need to hear this, I assure you. But that's what some people think. The Great Commission is only for those who have been especially chosen. And there's truth in that. But did you know that if you're a believer, you've been specially chosen by the Lord himself to fulfill that commission? So it's for all of us. Ye is me first, but ye is you. And every one of you and every one of us. You know... If I were to ask you, what do you consider to be the primary purpose of the church? We would get an array of answers, wouldn't we? Some people would say, well, it's the singing. And it's, I love good singing. That's why I sang in the choir. I've never sang in the choir and it came down and preached. And I may lose my voice later on, but I just couldn't refuse that one. But some people say, well, it's, it's, it's the singing. Uh, some would say it's the, it's the dynamic preaching. Some would say it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't refer to me. Some, some would say, some would say that it's the fellowship. A lot of people say, well, the purpose of the church is so Christians might get together in fellowship. Listen, all of these things are important and all of these things should be a part of the church, but those things prepare us for the primary purpose, which is what? Go ye and go me. Amen. Sure did get quiet. Go ye, go me, and go ye. Maybe that's why you didn't amen it. Go me and go ye. 
As we examine the Great Commission this morning, I want you to notice with me four distinguishing characteristics that, when understood and applied, will drastically change the way we look at and respond to the Lord's marching orders for his followers, the Great Commission. When we conclude, it's my desire that we'll all understand and accept that the Great Commission does mean for all of us. Notice with me, first of all, unrestricted availability unrestricted availability. In verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Now, we see that Matthew spoke here of the eleven disciples. You know why they're eleven now, right? Judas betrayed the Lord. The Bible says he went out and hung himself. Later on in the book of Acts, we see that Matthias was, was chosen to replace Judas Iscariot, but that haven't, hadn't taken place at this time. So there's 11 disciples that have gone to Galilee in obedience to the Lord's command to meet him there. Now, prior to the event described by Matthew in our text this morning, on two different occasions, Jesus told his disciples that he would meet them in Galilee. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 32. In Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. And just before his betrayal and arrest, he informed the disciples of this. Listen, he said, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And then in Matthew 28, 10, this is the resurrected Christ now. He appeared to the women who were returning to report the disciples the message from the angel at the empty tomb. And he commanded them, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. There are some other directions that aren't given here, but we've got to know that Jesus said, okay, on this mountain in the northern part of Israel in Galilee is where I will meet you. And I'm sure he said it's going to be at this time because why? He didn't want them to miss it, did he? He said, I'm going to be there, and I want to see you. But you know, most Bible scholars believe that it was not just the 11 disciples that were there, but it was also the 500 that Paul referred to in the book of 1 Corinthians. Don't you imagine that Jesus wanted all of his followers to be there to receive what was the greatest command and commission that he'd ever given? And so he wanted all to be present there to receive this, to hear this, and then to respond to it in faith. So here's the point we dare not miss. Christ's followers were exactly where they needed to be to receive the most important assignment of their lives. Jesus said, I will go before you into Galilee. I will meet you there. Be there. And they were exactly where they need to be. Let, ask yourself this question. Am I in my life exactly where I need to be in, that, in order that the Lord may be able to fulfill the great commission through me. And there could be many things that would keep you from being there. Sin in your life. It could be priorities that are messed up. It could be a lot of things. But in order for us to be obedient to that great commission, we need to be where God, where we can hear the Lord. We need to be where he wants us to be. The disciples were exactly where they needed to be to accept that assignment. Some of you probably heard Dr. David Allen, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. Dr. David Allen from uh, Lindale uh, originally, I think. His parents lived there. He's the dean of the School of Preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he was here a few years ago. And he was preaching. Uh, one of the messages was from Hebrews. He preached about three or four different messages, I think, but this is a question he asked in one of those messages. 
All right, this is the challenge that he gave. He challenged all of us. He said, pray this prayer. Now listen to this. Lord, do whatever you need to do in me in order to do what you want to do through me. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever prayed that prayer. Listen again. Lord, do whatever you need to do in me to do what you desire to do through me. Wow. You think God would honor that prayer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord, whatever it is, whatever there is in my life that I have placed before you, I need to remove it. Lord, whatever it is that has become more important to me than you, it needs to be out of the way. Do whatever you need to do in me in order to be able to accomplish what you want to accomplish through me. Wow. Are we willing to sincerely pray that prayer in order for God to have unrestricted access to our heart that is totally committed to him and his will? Only you can answer that for yourself. I'm not sure who said it originally, but someone made the observation that as far as a believer's service to God is concerned, the greatest ability is availability. Did you hear that? The greatest ability is availability. I, as, I, as I said, I've had the honor of leading mission teams all over the United States, starting here in, in our own community and then to Ukraine and Peru. And it's been such a, it's been such a blessing to see how God has used those who thought they were not equipped. And, and you know God honors that, right? God honors a humility. If we come up and say, hey, God, whatever it is you call me to do, I got it. He won't honor that. It's when we say, God, I can do nothing without you, but I know that I can do, as Paul said, I can do all things through you because you are the one who strengthens me. And so it's been a blessing to see those and I can remember quite a few that would say, you know, Billy, I, I feel like God is calling me to go and to be a part of this mission team, but I don't really have any gifts. I don't have any talents. Listen, you're looking at a guy that was called to lead construction teams that I hit this nail more than I hit that nail. I am not a carpenter, but God, amen, Janet knows that. In our house, if there's a problem that needs to be fixed, you better call the carpenter, the expert first, because it's going to cost you more after I mess it up. But God used my, my desire to honor him and to follow his call. And seeing, you know, when I first came here, it was after Katrina, and there was devastation along the Gulf Coast. Now, please, th please know I'm not bragging. I'm telling you all my weaknesses, okay, because I'm a miracle, that God could use someone like me. But there was devastation all down the East Coast, the Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast of the United States, starting in Mississippi and all the way down through Louisiana. But God put it on our heart to go and help people that had been, their homes had been totally destroyed. They had nothing. And many of them weren't believers. And so God sent us down there under my leadership who couldn't even drive a straight nail, and we built houses back. We built churches back that had been flattened by the storm. We, built, we ripped out the whole interior of houses that had 18 feet of water in them and rebuilt them 
and had the blessing in some cases to see the people move back in their homes. Listen, it's when we say, God, I don't know how you can use me, but I'm going to make myself available. I'm willing and use me. Now, please don't think that when I'm talking about missions, I'm saying you've got to go to Ukraine or Peru or Africa or wherever to be on mission. Listen, you've got a mission right in your own back door. You got a mission everywhere you where you work, where you go to school. There's a mission field, a ripe mission field. Did you know that other countries are sending missionaries to the United States now? Did you know that? What does that say about what we've been doing? We failed miserably. When foreign countries send Christian missionaries to the United States of America to proclaim the gospel, something's wrong. Something's bad wrong. But the mission, your mission field begins right where you live, right where you are. And when you make yourself available and say, God, use me, God will do it. He'll do it. Unrestricted availability. The second characteristic we see here, those who fulfill the Great Commission is unrestrained worship. Unrestrained worship. Now get me Understand me, I'm not talking about running and jumping pews and screaming at the top of your lungs and drawing attention to yourself because a lot of times that's what that does, okay? I'm not saying people can't worship that way, but a lot of it I've seen is like, look at me. See how spiritual I am. Unrestrained worship means that there are no limits. I saw some people this morning worshiping in unrestrained worship. You know, I was raised in a church well, you didn't raise your hand. And if you did, somebody might call you down. Listen, reaching up. God, I want to I praise you. I want to I worship you. God, just fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning where everything that flows out of me will bring honor and glory to you. There were people worshiping in this place this morning, Mark. And it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Oh, what a, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. I knew what it was going to do. I knew the potential there. And then God just took over. And people were worshiping. Unrestrained worship. Doesn't mean that it's without emotion, but it, need, it means it's not controlled by emotion. You, you understand the difference. When it's all about your emotions, then when you're not emotionally high, you feel like you've been forsaken by God. I've talked to some of other denominations that feel that way. If it's not just like a huge party going on all the time, then it's like, oh, God's forgotten me now. I feel like I've just dropped out of the sky and just landed on nothing. It's not about, it's about God using our emotions, our wills, our intellect, everything about us to point to him. Listen, when you leave here today, if all you can think about is there was a guy up there trying to preach that was losing his hair and probably needed a new suit and probably preached the worst sermon I've ever heard. If that's what you're thinking about, you probably didn't worship. Or if you leave here today and you say, did you tell your spouse, did you see what old so-and-so had on this morning? Good gracious. Can you believe they'd wear that church? You know, it's amazing 
what we allow to fill our minds and our hearts when we should be worshiping. But you know why that happens? Because the attention is not on him. We're not, we're not directing it to him, are we? And that, that way, all kind of thoughts that are not worshipful will enter our mind. Unrestrained worship. It says that the disciples who had gathered on the mountain in Galilee immediately fell down before the risen Christ in humble adoration and worshiped him. That should be our response. And you say, well, he was just recently resurrected and they were just, they were thankful that he was not still in that tomb. But their desire was to worship. They fell down prostrate before him and worshiped. Do you have to do that to worship? No. But it has to be from your heart. It has to be from your total being lifted up to him in praise and worship. That's what honors God. You know, I think about how we do worship sometimes and, you know, how they fell down before God and worshiped him. And sometimes if, just think about how we worship sometimes. And, you know, under that same circumstance, the way we worship, we might have said, well, hello there, Jesus. Glad to see you made it out of that tomb. I bet it was cold and dark in there. By the way, I got something I need you to take care of for me. Hmm? Is that the way we worship sometimes? Good old buddy, buddy, pal, Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Christ, the anointed one. He's the one who's coming back one day. He's going to come back and take the church and rapture the church up. And if you're not his, you're going to be left behind. And then you're going to see, you think things are bad now. You wait till that happens. Oh, my goodness gracious, it's going to be unlike anything. The Bible says it'll be unlike anything that's ever happened on the face of the earth. Worse than we can ever imagine. You know why? The Holy Spirit is gone. There's no influence of the Holy Spirit left. And so you think it's evil now. Just wait. And if you're left here, you're going to experience it firsthand. You know, I I think when they worshipped the disciples, I I think it was probably like O'Dowding Thomas. You know, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to his disciples, but when he came back the second time and he saw the nail prints in his wrist or his hands and he saw the, the scar on his side. You remember what he said? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. It's you, Jesus. You're alive. You've been resurrected. Sorry about that spit. It didn't go any farther than that. <laughs> Boy, if I'd been in the middle of COVID, that would have been bad, wouldn't it? Hmm. My Lord and my God. And I believe that's, if that's all the disciples said, that was plenty. Lord, you're alive. We saw you placed in that tomb. Our hopes were destroyed. We thought everything was, was gone. But you're alive. You're resurrected. You've defeated death and hell and the grave. And because you live, you tell me I'm going to live also. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) They worshiped. They worshiped. One more point I want to make about worship before we go on. 
any worship, now listen to this, any worship that takes the focus off of the Lord Jesus and directs it to an individual is not worship. Listen, it's not as great as that was, Trevor. Trevor, there he is. As, as awesome as that song was, it is all about Jesus. As, often, as awesome as that choir special was, it's not about Trevor. It's not about Kim. It's not about Mark. It's not about this choir and the other service. It's not about the praise band. It's not about anything but Jesus. But Jesus, he should be the object of our worship. John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus told the woman of Samaria, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, listen to this, the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Finally, I want you to notice at the end of verse 17, it says, some doubted. Now you think, no, wait a minute. This is Jesus. This is the resurrected Christ. If they were the believers, they knew that he'd been crucified. He placed in that tomb. They knew he had resurrected. He had, he had come back from the dead. How do you doubt? Well, ask yourself this. How do you doubt sometimes? How do you doubt that this is true? That every word in here is divinely inspired and is true and you can place your life here. Why do you doubt that? Why do I doubt that? We have doubts, but God can erase those doubts. He can remove those doubts from us as we trust him fully. You know, Bible scholars said the reason some of these, you know, if they were the 500 there and also the disciples... When Jesus appeared, there were probably some in the back side, on the back end of that crowd as they gathered around. And from a distance, they might have said, well, that looks like Jesus, but I'm just not sure. No, that can't be him. We saw him placed in the tomb. So there was some doubt there. But then Jesus spoke. Do you know how the word of God removes all doubt? It should. It should. The word of God is not about doubt, is it? What's it about? Faith. Faith. The writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. It's about faith, believing that this is the inerrant word of God. And that every word, is, I'm so convinced of that, I even believe sometimes the concordance is divinely inspired. It's God's word. And we can base our lives upon it. We can rest in the truth of the Word of God. Number three, unlimited authority. Unlimited authority. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, this Greek word translated power in the KJV and the King James is exousia, and it more accurately translates authority referring to one's freedom and right to speak and act as he pleases. In relation to God, that freedom and right are absolute and unlimited. 
For us to be actively involved in the carrying out of the Great Commission, we must submit to the Lord's authority. Amen? Is he sovereign? Yes. Is he in control of all things? Does he have authority over everything? Yes. We submit to that. You know what happened when the Holy Spirit came? That authority that Jesus has was transferred to us. Did you hear me? We have the authority from the Father to be representatives throughout the entire world. His authority was, his power was transferred to us. Therefore, we can go and we can share. In Matthew 24, 30, Jesus himself described his coming dominion and authority when he said this. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 11, the Apostle Paul describes this authority. This is that kenosis, that self emptying passage, which I love. It says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say amen, church. The authority of Christ himself transferred to us. And you say, I can't do that. You're exactly right, but there's nothing that he can't do through you. Nothing. Nothing that he calls you to do that he can't do through you. I've witnessed that. I'm your poster child for that. And you can be as well. But until you accept and submit to his authority, you will never fulfill the Great Commission. Never. Impossible. Impossible. Fourth characteristic we have here, those who effectively carry out the Great Commission, unhindered obedience. Unhindered obedience. Verses 19 and 20, the first part of 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it comes down to this. Ye is me and ye is you. We are to go. We've been commanded and empowered to go. When Jesus first gave the great, great Commission to his followers, there was still one critical piece of the puzzle that was missing. Do you remember when Jesus said, wait in, in, in Jerusalem? In other words, he said, don't you dare go until you receive what I have for you because you can't do it without this. All right? Turn to Acts in chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And what was the promise? Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now look down to verse 8. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses to me in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The promise of the power to effectively carry out the Great Commission was fulfilled there. When you were saved, you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit within you. You received everything that you need in order to carry out the Great Commission. All it requires is your obedience. Obedience. 
And you know, there's one thing about obedience, and I know I've got to hurry. There's one thing about obedience. And I, I, I take this, I learned this lesson from my dad. I love my dad, but he was a strict disciplinarian. I, I had many a whipping, called them whipping back then. And I needed more than what I got probably. But you know, dad had, there were levels to his discipline. Okay. And I knew him. And my sister sitting here, this is my baby sister sitting over here. And she didn't get near as many spankings as I did, but she probably didn't deserve them. But anyway, uh, I think she did. She just, you know, that was their favorite. <sighs> anyway, dad had this look. When I was misbehaving, my dad could look at me like I'm looking at Mike right there. And those eyes, the head would kind of tilt down a little bit. You know, I knew what that look meant. It meant, you better straighten up, son, because the next thing is not going to be something you're going to enjoy. Well, there was a next step before that. And it would, he would say, Billy. He'd look at me, and if I kept on, he'd say, Billy. That was not a compassionate Billy. That was one to get my attention. If that didn't work, guess what was next? We had a woodshed at one time. I went there a few times, not of my own choice. And I didn't like what I found there. See, a lot of y'all, a lot of your generation, what are you talking about a woodshed? Well, in the old days, a woodshed is where you went to get disciplined. Okay. But you know, there were levels to that discipline. If I responded to that look, everything was fine. If I didn't, Billy, that wasn't it. I decided, I made the choice how severe that discipline was going to be. You know what? God calls us to obedience, obedience to the Great Commission. When we choose to be disobedient, the Lord will try. He is merciful, amen? He doesn't want to bring that discipline upon us, but he will. If we respond initially when he brings it to our attention that we're being disobedient, that'll be it. If not, he will take more severe steps to discipline. And you know, you've heard discipline is all an act of love, and it is. My dad used to tell me, I'm doing this because I love you. I didn't understand it then. It hurt too bad to have anything to do with love. But as a parent, I knew exactly what he was talking about. But I control the level of that discipline. It's the same with us today. God calls us to be obedient. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And listen, here's the promise. Without the promise, we'd be lost. Here's the promise. And lo, I am with you. Today, always, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Janet, when I first started flying uh, to foreign countries, and Janet went a couple of times, but before that, she said, I, I'm not going to fly. We talked about the dream of going to Hawaii, you know, at times. And she'd say, I'll go to Hawaii when they finish that bridge. She wasn't going to fly. Well, she finally, but here was her argument. She said, the Bible says, and lo, I am with you always. <laughs> Them things fly at 35, 40,000 feet. That ain't low. 
She's looking at me like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> anyway, I am with you always. Lo is an interjection frequently used in the New Testament to call attention to something very important. Jesus says, this is important. And I am is better understood as I myself am. Jesus was saying, in effect, now pay special attention to what I'm about to say because it's the most important thing of all. I myself, listen to this, I myself, your divine, resurrected, living, eternal Lord, am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, people, we can fulfill the great commission in our life. Wherever it is, your back, your neighbor, your, your fellow employee, your, your schoolmate, Or like Tomia in the mountains of Peru, born without a, I mean, he had a disease that ate the nose off of his face. And we had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Tomia came to know Jesus. Six months after he came to know Jesus, Tomia got a bad uh, sinus infection and, and uh, respiratory infection and he died. Listen, Tomia is in heaven today and he's going to have a nose when I see him next. Tomia is in heaven because we were obedient we were obedient. I think about all the things that we have seen. There's a little girl in Kharkiv, Ukraine. Whew, I can't tell this without crying. There's a little girl in Kharkiv, Ukraine that her mom was eight months pregnant. And her mom came to Nadia and said, her, her, her mom's mother came to Nadia and said, my daughter is going to be having a baby and if she can't afford to go to the hospital to have that baby, and, but the government will abort that baby for nothing. And I'm afraid that's the choice she's going to make. And Nadia called me over and she said, Billy, let me share this with you. And, and so I said, how much will it cost? And she said, $100. Somebody here at this church had given me a $100 bill before we left and said, I don't understand this, but God told me to give it to you. And wherever you know, when you see it's supposed to go there, you give it. I couldn't get it out of my billfold fast enough. That little girl is 13 years old now. She's being, I don't know whether she's coming to know Christ or not, but she's probably being discipled. She's probably being taught. And one day she's going to accept Jesus and because we were obedient. Amen? That's what it's all about. Listen, you don't have a clue how many blessings you're missing from the Lord if you choose to disobey him in fulfilling the great commission. You don't have a clue. And you don't have to go to Ukraine. You can go to that neighbor that you've been praying for, that you've seen, that doesn't go to church, that, that drinks, that, that, you know, lives a life that, that's totally contrary to, to Christianity. And you can win, you can, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that lives within you, you can share the gospel with that person and see them come to know the Lord, being involved in the Great Commission. Unrestricted availability, unrestrained worship, submission to Christ, unlimited authority, unhindered obedience. What's keeping you from fulfilling the Great Commission? As we close this morning, I want to tell you one thing. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never come to a point in your life where you realize that you were a sinner, you realize that your sin was going to have to be paid for, and that payment was going to be death, and not just death cessation to your body, but eternal separation from God. And you heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood so that you might be forgiven, and you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Unless you've done that, you can't begin to understand the Great Commission. 
won't make any sense. What do you mean? What do you mean go and share? I don't understand that. Well, this invitation this morning is first of all for you because that's what the Grace Commission is all about, telling someone who's lost how they can come and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're here this morning, you've never, you've never trusted Jesus. I'm not talking about you've been baptized. I'm not talking about you've been in church all your life. I'm not talking about you read the Bible occasionally. I'm not talking about any of those outward things. I'm talking about knowing Jesus intimately and personally as your Lord and Savior that happened because you repented of your sins and accepted his payment on the cross for you. If you've never done that, the invitation this morning is going to be for you. If you don't understand that coming, we'll explain further. We'll meet with you. We'll do whatever to make sure you understand what is required there. You may be here and you say, Billy, I know I've been saved. But you know, I've never taken the Great Commission seriously. I play around during worship. You know, I, I, I ain't got a clue what obedience is all about. I haven't made myself available to the Lord. I'm just, I'm just claiming the name of Christian. I've got, my, I've got my, my fire insurance and that's really all I need. You know, this morning, that's not true. Jesus Christ wants us. We show that we love him by our obedience. Our love for him is when we go out and do what he's called us to do. He's calling you to be involved in the Great Commission this morning. This invitation is going to be for you to come. Brother Ted opened up the altar. I was so happy to see that. You come if God has placed it upon your heart to come and pray this morning. You come and you want me to pray for you. You come and whatever God is leading you to do, we invite you to come. I'm going to ask you to stand all over the place very reverently and very quietly. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. After that prayer, Mark is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. I invite you this morning to be obedient to what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to do. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, it is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, it's it's such a blessing to know that you, the God of all glory, the God of creation, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, you have chosen us to participate with you in carrying the gospel, beginning here in our own community to the far reaches of the earth. But God, I realize this morning there may be someone here in this service or in the contemporary service who may be listening online that have never trusted Jesus. And I pray, God, that you will draw them by your Holy Spirit to you today, Lord, that they might accept the payment that Jesus made for them and become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, I I pray for that one who has not taken their walk with you seriously, Father, never been involved in sharing. We've heard that 90% of all believers have never led one person to Christ. There's something wrong with that, Lord. I pray that that will bring conviction. Your word will bring conviction this morning in your Holy Spirit that we need to be involved in spreading the gospel. So, Lord, we just commit this invitation to you. We want to thank you in advance, God, for the decision that's going to be made here today. We pray this in the name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus. Amen. You come as God's Holy Spirit leads you.